hello. Welcome again to Gospel on Tap, soon to be renamed Kingdom Polemics. I doing devotions this morning with my kids and um, I did an episode on eschatology yesterday with Michael Bowman, PCA pastor who has a podcast called Restless. And uh, I was talking about post-millennialism, and I did a devotion today from 2 Thessalonians 2. And as I was unpacking this, I was like, you know what? It'd be good to not make an all-out episode, but just put some stuff on tape about this. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about eschatology from a post-millennial perspective from 2 Thessalonians 2. Now concerning, this is what it says in verse 1, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you therefore, brothers, do not, be, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter, seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now real quick, that phrase undermines a pre-tribulation rapture eschatology. Okay? These people were being deceived to believe that the Lord had come and he came again and it was something that the world was not aware of. It was something that was somewhat secretive and and not globally obvious. So there was people that were saying that the Lord had come in judgment. The Lord had returned already. And these believers were like, I guess we kind of missed the boat. Uh, now, this is obviously not dispensational, pre-tribulational uh, rapture stuff in the 1800s developed sense, but it certainly is a statement about people believing that in the end, Christ will come in some secret event that is unknown to the church. Uh, very clearly that the coming of Christ finally to gather the church will not be something that is secret. We already saw that with the trumpet of God being that which accompanies the Lord's return. Then he says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. So he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may reveal in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until it is out of the way. Okay, so what's interesting is how Paul says that the final return of Christ will not happen until a rebellion comes. The word in the Greek is apostasia. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, when you hear that word apostasia, immediately you come to understand something about eschatology. And that is, in order for there to be a 
colossal global apostasia turning away. There must be a global and positive advance of the visible church in the world. Apostasy is a term that is used for those who turn away and renounce uh, their membership in the visible church. You see this in Israel with the, with, with the covenant community. You see this in the New Testament. If there is going to be a very impressive, much more pronounced apostasia before Christ comes, then there must necessarily be a very successful, extensive move of the church in the world for some global kind of, before Christ returns, apostasia to come. This is not a surprise to someone like myself because we believe that before Christ comes, there will be an ever-increasing advance of the gospel in the world, which inevitably must precede a global kind of apostasia. A turning away from the visible church. This man of lawlessness, who is this man? He exalts himself against every so-called God and object of worship in the temple of God. Okay? So Antichrist uh, is bringing about this turning away. Where? Where is he seen in Thessalonians? Not outside. But in the visible church, he promotes the worship of humanism. The true God and what is attributed to him is attributed to some human figure. And that which is unique to the Messiah in the church is given to be attributed to a human figure in the church. So if this lawless man brings this massive turning away in the temple of God, Okay, and the temple of God, according to Paul, is not in Israel. It's not in Jerusalem. The temple of God is, according to Ephesians 2, the church. Then there must be a whole lot of temples in the globe for this massive turning away to be promoted by this lawless one in the church. So. There is this revelation of a son of destruction related to this massive turning away, related to the fact that the church has grown to such an extent that there can be said to be a massive turning away in the world of the church. Do you remember when I was with you, still with you, and I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may reveal in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. So notice something. For those who believe that Antichrist right now, right now is in this ever-increasing, ever-abounding, numerical uh, power. This says that only in the end, when he is no longer restrained, will that be the case. Right now, 
the mystery of lawless, which is already at work. So this goes against the, 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 the over-exaggerated uh, preterist who believes that the lawless one, okay, um, was entirely vanquished, okay, uh, in the first century. And all of this is speaking about the fact that the first century this took place. Uh, that would make no sense, by the way, in light of verse 1 that says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. So Paul is saying, like, the final day of Christ, and now I'm going to talk about things that already happened or are about to happen. So Paul is saying that these things about the mystery of, of lawlessness uh, and the, um, the son of destruction being revealed is related to the conversation about the final day. So, so if Paul said these things about the first century um, and 2,000 years have passed, that makes no sense. But what does make sense is that the mystery of lawlessness is at work. Okay? Satan and Antichrist is not purely a first century phenomena like the hardcore uh, preterist, which can be in the, in the post-millennial world. It's not purely a last day or last hour phenomena like the dispensationalists say. The mystery of lawlessness is at work. So Antichrist was a reality, is a reality, and will be a reality. But there is a restraint. Okay? This is uh, the, a parallel way of talking about how Satan is presently bound between the first and second coming by a chain. Okay? So, right now, there will not be uh, a pronounced, climactic, globally profound expression of Antichrist because there is a supernatural restraint. In the present, we should expect an ever-increasing move of the gospel in the world, amongst the nations, because there is lawlessness being restrained, though it's at work. For those of you who want this oversimplified, is Satan just doing what, as much as he wants more and more and more and making Babylon huger? Or is Satan totally, totally gone out of the picture and now we're just going to just kill it for Jesus with no apostasy? This verse makes it really clear. There will be a restraint that leads to a massive increase of conversions, which will then lead to a unleashing of that restraint in the end, which will lead to a great turning away. So there is that lawlessness is, is being restrained. Now, now I want to notice something else about how many times Antichrist is, is said to be the lawless one and lawlessness at work. That's significant because if you think of satanic, think of somebody who nullifies God's law, diminishes God's law, and makes man this divine-like lawgiver. So whenever in the church God's law is diminished, whenever in society man becomes the God-like standard bearer, that is the mystery 
of the lawless one. Okay? Um, that's very important for our day because we have this tendency to either in the first or in the second or in the third use in the church or in society diminish the authority of God's law. That is the satanic deception. Okay, so Satan is presently has that the lawless one is presently working, but he's presently being restrained. So the idea that right now in the present, we should expect Satan to perpetually increase in lawlessness goes against what Paul is saying about the restraint of lawlessness in the present and also the, the apostasy in the end which implies a success of the visible church, a, a success of the temple that would proceed and be demanded for a apostasia of a global nature. So all of this stuff about Satan is saying that Satan is indeed in work in the world, but the gospel is indeed going to work more successfully than the work of Satan. Then he says, and the lawless one will be revealed, and when the Lord Jesus will kill him with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Okay, so all of this, when the lawless one is revealed, the Lord Jesus will destroy him at his coming, and then it says, we'll be gathered to him, right? Um, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. With all the wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse the love of the truth so as to be saved. So something to, to note about Satan's mystery of lawlessness is at work now and also will be at work finally and more fully in the end is that he impresses people with power and signs and wonders not the love of the truth, love of the gospel. You want to think about what satanic working is? Wherever human power, wherever human wonders and signs uh, are being elevated and not the power and preeminence of the love of the truth of the gospel, there goes the satanic work, which means that it can look Christian, it can sound Christian, but if miracles pertaining to human ability are elevated over the miraculous Messiah's redemptive work, that's satanic. Um, and the reason, and it's interesting, it says that God is the one who sends them the strong delusion so they may believe what is false in order to be condemned who did not believe in the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So Antichrist, both in the mystery that is presently at work both in the climactic unveiling when the restraint is released, future, is God's judgment. It's God's judgment on those who refuse to receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So I was, my, my kids were asking, like, why, why is Satan around right now? Why wouldn't God just put him away right now? And I said, well, um, God uses Satan for, for, for many of his purposes, one of them being he is a judgment, a sovereign judgment of God on the world now and on the world then, a judgment that gives people over to a 
perverse, false counter-religion because you have not accepted the true religion. Islam, liberal Christianity, progressive Christianity, uh, Mormonism, New Ageism, Hinduism, Jehovah's Witnessism, Santeria, all that stuff in the presence is a divine judgment for those who reject the love of the truth so as to be saved. And again, the fact that in the final phase, Antichrist's final climactic work is said to be a delusional uh, reality that, uh, by virtue of God's judgment, it implies that if Antichrist in this final phase is God's judgment on the world for refu refusing the love of the truth so as to be saved, it implies that this global uh, falsity, okay, this global falsity is related to a global clarity of the true gospel. So right now, believe it or not, most of the world has not heard the gospel. As much as the gospel has advanced in the world, most of the world has not heard the gospel. Has not had a clarity of the gospel, right? A, an understanding of the gospel. So, for, for God to say that Antichrist in his final sense is a massive judgment based upon those who have known the truth, heard the truth, implies again that in the time that is now and coming, the truth of the gospel will increase and prevail, and most of the world will have the opportunity to hear the gospel. And the temple, the temple of living God will be so pronounced and so increasing and so globalized that when Antichrist comes to deceive, it will be in the temple because the temple has covered the globe. The truth has covered the globe. Christianity has spread increasingly. And now people are rejecting in a, in a, in a more heightened sense a love of the truth. And now apostasy is in the temple across the globe because the restraints of lawlessness though the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, um, has resulted in a success of the gospel. Um, so I believe if you read this, you must come to the exegetical conclusion that Satan was indeed dealt a death blow in the first century. But he's still at work. And he still will have a crescendo. You can't be somebody whose eschatology, like the hardcore preterist post-millennial, believes that all this stuff is first century stuff. That makes no sense. You can't be the dispensational premillennial uh, who, who believes that all this is only last hour stuff um, because clearly... This is stuff that is um, this is stuff that's going on now, right? And you can't be uh, the pronounced pessimistic amillennial who sees the time period between Christ's first and second coming 
has to be an ever-increasing abound a, a, abundance of Babylon in the world, a and, and a, a a growing remnant of, of of Christianity. You can't read those verses this way without doing some kind of you know force hoop jumping. Okay, this global kind of apostasy and this global kind of temple, this global kind of turning away implies that the restraint of lawlessness in the present is resulting and will result in a climactic, ever-increasing spread and success of Christianity, which will lead to a significant global turning away. Now, how much turning away happens with Antichrist being revealed? How much apostasy in the temple of God that is spread takes place? Well, I would say that it's certainly significant, but I would say it's not more significant than the success of Christ, even in the last hour. So hopefully those thoughts uh, about eschatology will be helpful for you uh, in this conversation. If you want me to summarize what this is, this is a post-millennial perspective on 2 Thessalonians 2. All right, grace and peace, signing off, Kingdom Polemics. (laughs) 